Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Wednesday, October 28th. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. The United States seeing its fourth worst day of the pandemic, 73,000 new cases recorded across the country, while a top White House official falsely claims the pandemic has been brought to an end by the Trump administration. Meanwhile, the president and his surrogates in an all-out push as Election Day approaches, while Joe Biden and former President Barack Obama make their case for a Democratic win next week. And roughly 30,000 unaccompanied minors crossed the U.S. border last year, while thousands linger in squalid migrant camps in Matamoros. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. The United States seeing its fourth worst day of the pandemic, 73,000 new cases recorded across the country, while a top White House official falsely claims the pandemic has been brought to an end by this administration. Meanwhile, the president and his surrogates in an all-out push as Election Day approaches, while Joe Biden and former President Barack Obama make their case for a Democratic win next week. And a bombshell report in the New York Times says that President Trump, while a private citizen, defaulted on loans in excess of $285 million, all while avoiding a major tax bill. The details and so much more today on U News. Hello and welcome to U News for this Wednesday, October 28th. I'm Andrea Linares. With less than a week left before voting ends on Election Day, President Trump and former Vice President Joe Biden are making their final campaign push. The president hitting three states across the Midwest, including Michigan and Wisconsin. This while Biden rallied in Georgia, a state Democrats have not won since the year 1992. More than 70 million Americans have cast ballots, and former VP Joe Biden is hoping those early votes can help him flip red states blue. Biden on offense in Georgia, a state Trump won by five points in 2016, making his closing argument. With our voices and our votes, we must free ourselves from the forces of darkness, from the forces of division, and the forces of yesterday from the forces that pull us apart, hold us down and hold us back. This week, Biden also expected to hit other traditional battleground states like Florida, Wisconsin and Michigan, states Trump won four years ago. Meanwhile, former President Obama continues to rally support for Biden. In Florida, he launched another attack against the president's handling of the pandemic. And what, what's his closing argument? that people are too focused on COVID. He said this at one of his rallies, COVID, 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 he's complaining. He's jealous of COVID's media coverage. Obama has no crowd. We have the opposite. We have so many people, they don't like it. The president campaigning hard on his three-state tour of Michigan, Wisconsin, and Nebraska, ignoring social distancing guidelines against holding large gatherings as new coronavirus cases surge. I will deliver record prosperity, epic job growth, and a safe vaccine that eradicates the virus and quickly ends the pandemic. 
And he also looked to appeal to suburban women voters. So I'm saving suburbia. I'm getting your kids back to school. We're getting your husbands back to work and everybody wants it. In her first and only campaign appearance, First Lady Melania Trump hitting the trail in must-win Pennsylvania, trying to appeal to critical suburban women, speaking to a packed crowd of her own experience with COVID-19. Like many of you, I have experienced the first-hand effects of COVID-19, not only as a patient, but as a worried mother and wife. A new Washington Post-ABC News poll showing troubling numbers for the president. The surveys show Biden narrowly ahead of Trump among likely voters in Michigan by 51 percent to 44 percent. In Wisconsin, likely voters favor Biden by 57 percent to 40 percent. Democratic vice presidential candidate Kamala Harris will be making a visit to Phoenix and Tucson, Arizona today. Her visit coincides with President Trump's. He will hold two rallies in Bullhead City and Goodyear. A federal judge on Tuesday night ordered the U.S. Postal Service to reverse limitations on mail collection imposed by Trump-backed Postmaster General Louis DeJoy, giving the agency until this morning to inform workers of the court's changes as more mail-in ballots continue to flood in. And an estimated 90 million Americans requested mail-in ballots this election season, but it's estimated that only about half of those ballots have been returned as time runs out to mail those in. Joining us now is Deborah Cleaver. She's the founder and CEO of Vote America, a voting rights organization. Thanks so much for joining us today on U News, Deborah. Welcome. Thank you for having me. So the recommended deadline to mail ballots was Tuesday. What should people still holding on to their ballots do at this point? If you are still holding on to your ballot, you should hand deliver your ballot as a way of making sure that it's counted. You will find the locations where you can hand deliver your ballot at voteamerica.com vote. Now, we know that on Monday, the Supreme Court ruled that Wisconsin may not extend a deadline for mailed-in ballots. Explain to us what this means exactly and how it impacts voters in those rural areas. It means if your ballot is not received by Election Day, it will not be counted. Earlier this year, the Supreme Court had ruled that if your ballot was postmarked by Election Day, it would be counted. So what this means and I cannot emphasize this enough, is that you absolutely must make sure that your ballot is received by Election Day. And the only way to guarantee that is to hand deliver it at this point. Now, civil rights lawyers are concerned about Justice Kavanaugh's opinion on this Wisconsin case because they see his opinion as giving public support to the president's arguments that a winner should be declared on election night. Talk to us about that and how this case foreshadows what's to come. The president of the United States has actually been never been declared a winner on election night. What has happened in our country is the media has declared a victor on election night. But the Federal Election Commission has never declared the winner until all of the ballots were counted. As for various things that the president of the United States has said, over the past four years, I think it is important to disregard almost everything that Trump says. Trump lies more frequently than he speaks the truth. And Trump has made it abundantly clear that he 
thinks he should simply be in power whether or not the citizens of the United States want to keep him for a second term. It is important to ignore what the president says. He does not speak the truth. And Brett Kavanaugh should be ashamed of himself for such overtly partisan behavior. Now let's talk about another issue. In Texas, the state Supreme Court sided with Governor Greg Abbott on limiting ballot drop boxes to one per county. By contrast, in Broward County in the state of Florida, that state has 24 drop boxes alone in that county. What are the reasons behind this decision? How does this impact voter turnout? The reason behind the decision in Texas is that the Texas elected officials would strongly prefer that Texans not actually vote. Texas elected officials have made it clear that they want to choose their voters instead of having their voters choose their leaders. This is again, disgraceful behavior. There is no possible justification for having only one drop box per county. Millions of people live in each of these Texas counties. I don't even think it's physically possible for one drop box to hold all of the ballots this is just another way of making it harder for Texans to vote. Uh, but the nice thing that is happening this year, not just in Texas, but all over the country, is people who in the past would have given up and not voted because of these overt voter suppression activities are still voting. Citizens have had enough of voter suppression and we're gonna find ways to vote anyway. Thank you so much for your time today, Deborah Cleaver of Vote America. Take care and get out the vote. Thank you so much. Have a good one. And you don't forget to vote as well. I've already done so. Thanks so much. Moving on now, a new report says five states, including several that are presidential battlegrounds, are at a high risk for activity by armed groups of civilians around Election Day. The Armed Conflict Location and Event Data Project and Militia Watch warned about such movements leading up to and following the election in Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, Wisconsin and Oregon, especially in state capitals and surrounding towns, medium-sized cities and suburban areas. Almost 3 million cases of coronavirus have been reported worldwide in the past seven days, a global record. According to the World Health Organization, more than 42 million cases of COVID-19 have been reported globally as of October 25th, and 1.1 million people have lost their lives. Europe is reporting the highest number of new cases for the second week in a row at more than 1.3 million, an increase of 33% compared to the previous week. And right here in the United States, the second wave of coronavirus infections has officially begun. The U.S. reporting an average of 70,000 cases a day and hospitalizations rising in many states. Local leaders implementing new shutdowns and restrictions as the Trump administration touts ending the pandemic as an accomplishment. Lorraine Gassidis has much more. The fall surge of COVID-19 is in full effect in the U.S. 29 states reporting at least one record high day of new cases this month. Even though testing is up, this is a real increase in cases. Um, we know that not only because the case numbers are up and we can calculate that, but we know that hospitalizations are going up. We are tenuous now. We really have to re-engage the public health measures that we know works or those hospitalizations can go up su substantially. 
On Tuesday, the U.S. recorded more than 73,000 new infections. The seven-day average of new cases is now at the highest level since the pandemic began. Forty states have seen an increase in cases over the last week, and 14 saw record hospitalizations on Tuesday. In Wisconsin, the crisis continues, seeing more than 5,000 new coronavirus cases on Tuesday and a positivity rate of 28 percent. The governor there saying ICU are stretched thin, operating at 87% capacity. There's no way to sugarcoat it. We are facing an urgent crisis, and there is an imminent risk to you, your family members, your friends, your neighbors, and the people you care about. Meanwhile, North and South Dakota leading the nation with the most infections per capita. This is the least use of masks that we have seen in retail establishments of any place we have been. In Chicago, starting Friday, indoor dining in bars and restaurants in the city will be suspended and gatherings will be limited to no more than 25 people. In Ohio, the governor giving residents a reality check. We have no indication that we've plateaued out at all. And if we don't fight this battle county by county, city by city, village by village, if we do not fight in that way, we will one way or the other be shut down. Uh, and we will be shut down because the spread will be so bad. And even though nearly half a million people in the U.S. have tested positive for COVID-19 in the last seven days, the White House included ending the pandemic in a list of accomplishments of the Trump administration. Today, a, a campaign official said he hadn't seen the list and he didn't know who wrote that list. Meanwhile, Biden criticized the president for uh, touting something like this, saying that it's an insult to anybody ha that has lost a loved one, that has lost a job or ha that has struggled during this pandemic. Andrea, back to you. Meanwhile, in San Francisco, that city faring far better than many other cities across the country in its battle against the coronavirus pandemic. Luis Mejid brings us the story. While COVID cases keep growing across the country, there is a city on the West Coast with a small number of infections. The San Francisco General Hospital has many empty beds. Today they only have three cases. They had 49 at the peak of the pandemic. San Francisco has become a success story in the pandemic, a national model. But how did it happen? Most people in the city take the virus seriously. The majority wear masks and keep their distance. The mayor was first in the country to declare an emergency and to impose a lockdown early in March. This winter will be a test. If people continue to play by the rules, the city might continue its success. Apathy and fatigue are the real danger. In San Francisco, Luis Mejid, U News. More of U News after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. U News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. U News, your world, U News on Fusion. Welcome back to U News. 
On Capitol Hill, big tech CEOs are set to testify before a Senate panel today. Those executives include Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey, Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg, and Sundar Pichai of Alphabet and Google. The Senate Commerce Committee hearing will look at Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act as it relates to big tech in the digital age. Lawmakers want to examine how to increase big tech's transparency and accountability for content moderation. They also plan to discuss the impact of ad tech platforms on journalism and consumer privacy. Turning now to immigration, a judge has ordered ICE to release hundreds of detainees amid a coronavirus outbreak in California. ICE says it will let go more than 250 detainees from its center in the city of Adelanto. The detention center there is one of the largest in the country. Officials say 238 people at the center have contracted the virus as of Tuesday. The ACLU sued over conditions at that location. The judge ruled that the outbreak posed, quote, an unreasonable risk to each detainee's safety, end quote. And a group of pediatricians says the treatment of migrant children at the U.S. border amounts to torture. They published that conclusion in the online journal Pediatrics on Tuesday. Their article says the treatment fits all the criteria in the U.N. Convention Against Torture. Plus, they say the children suffered physical and psychological trauma that will linger for years. The doctors are now urging the American Academy of Pediatrics to take the case to the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights, the Trump administration separated many children from their families who illegally crossed the Mexican border back in 2017 and 2018. A federal court later ordered their unification, but a recent court filing said that more than 500 children are yet to see their parents and that about two thirds of parents are believed to have been deported without their children. And along the U.S.-Mexico border, a separate but related issue is persisting. Teenagers and other children making the dangerous crossing on their own. Pedro Rojas takes us there for a closer look. The arrest of alien unaccompanied minors at the U.S. border is on the rise. Recently in South Texas, a 13-year-old Honduran was arrested carrying his seven-month-old brother. We visited the migrant camp for families sent back to Mexico and Maramoros. There, a Salvadorian mother admitted to us that she has sent two of her three children alone to the United States. One is eight years old, the other one is six. It is something difficult to tolerate, Liliana Areli says. U.S. Border Patrol agent Herman Rivera indicated that the 13-year-old stated that his mother abandoned them in Mexico, and that forced him to cross into the U.S. illegally with his baby brother. You never know what could go wrong, especially coming you know, across the Rio Grande itself. Uh, there's always a, the risk of the raft overturning, capsizing, or perhaps even running out of air. Official numbers from the U.S. Customs and Border Protection said that during fiscal year 2020 that ended in September, more than 30,000 unaccompanied minors were arrested, and nearly 4,000 of them were found in September. Dr. Jose Igoa says that the trauma on children could be long-lasting. It has important consequences. It could lead to depression, personality disorders, and addiction problems, he says. This is the area where authorities found this 13-year-old along with his young brother a few months old. They said that the event could have been a lot riskier because it happened in the nine hours. Volunteers that provide assistance to families at the migrant camp in Matamoros tells us that the long way for court hearings is making parents decide to send their children to the U.S. alone.
They believe that their asylum claims will have a better chance if they send their children first, Lady Caña says. With respect to the 13-year-old minor and his seven-month-old brother, we were informed that they have been turned over to a shelter run by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and an aunt that lives in the northern U.S. has been contacted. In McAllen, Texas, Pedro Rojas, U News. After several prior rulings, two additional federal courts have ruled many immigrants with temporary protection status, or TPS, can now pursue more permanent residence right here in the United States. Andrew Peña has more on this story. Central American immigrants with temporary protected status, or TPS, who have been traveling on this bus around the United States were happy with a court decision that would allow some of them to obtain legal permanent residency, as long as they have a citizen spouse or children over 21 years old. Esta es una buena noticia. This is good news, but it is a shame that we have to fight this in the courts. What we need now is permanent residency for all those covered by TPS. It is over 25 years that we have been in this country. This immigration lawyer explains that those who meet the requirement could adjust their legal status. To adjust status means that an immediate relative, whether your husband or wife or child over the age of 21, can apply for residency within the United States without leaving the country. The decision benefits TPS beneficiaries living in these seven states where the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals has jurisdiction. They would join those with TPS living in the jurisdictions of two other courts of appeals that gave the same ruling. It is unfortunate that we have to resort to courts to defend ourselves from the attacks of racism from this administration. That is why we have to continue fighting. For now, these TPS recipients will continue to travel to ask for permanent status for all. Reported by Vilma Tarazona in Miami, Andrew Pena, U News. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.